I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 5 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1. Meet me at the mall. In just the last decade, all sorts of things have changed to the point that it would be absurd to do them now. Fundamentally, they are no longer really an option that would enter into your decision matrix. Can you think of a few? For instance, if you and I were going on a trip together, it would not be in vogue for me to ask, would you like me to call the travel agent for us? Even though, I guess, some time ago, that was a pretty regular thing to say. Similarly, something I have heard hundreds of times in my life in context that made a lot of sense at the time, but today would totally not make sense, is if you were to ask me, Do you want to meet up at the mall? This is just not something that's done today, but if you're like me, when you heard the question, you were able to conjure up the image of a distinct mall, your go-to mall from yesteryear, where you did more than just your shopping, but also your socializing, your dating, maybe even your exercising. You can picture yours just like I can picture mine, with its Hollisters and baseball card kiosks and jewelry stands and candy stores. Perhaps some listeners had a less adolescent experience with malls than yours truly, but mine was steeped in glorious teendom. In fact, I fear if I went back to my mall from suburban western Pennsylvania again tomorrow, that like a bird or butterfly exercising some innate migratory instinct, I'd make a natural swoop right through the food court to get free samples on toothpicks. Malls were where my friends had birthday parties that were basically just walking tours through the facility. They were where I first ate something that resembled Chinese food, and where I went on my first awkward dates. They were there for me, as they were potentially there for you. They played central parts in all sorts of movies and all sorts of music. So, if someone called 15-year-old me and said over the landline, do you want to meet up at the mall, I would have been thrilled, and one of my parents would have had to figure out if they had any errands to run in order to make me stop my implorations. 15-year-olds today, with enough of their own money, could probably just take a shared ride to the mall, but they wouldn't. I don't know where 15-year-olds would go today, but I know that this 30-something would be pretty confused if someone asked him to meet them at the mall. Malls are dying, and brick-and-mortar retail is encountering well-published dark times. When we hear a word like infrastructure, we typically think of things like planes, trains, and automobiles. We think of the infrastructure that helps us get around safely and efficiently and is always in dire need of upgrading, maintenance, or repair. In this industry and in this podcast, we know that in our digital age, infrastructure can also mean connectivity capabilities installed inside or outside a facility, whether that be the rollout of 5G or the rollout of IP-enabled field controllers. But infrastructure is really just the underlying foundation or framework for a larger concept. In commerce, we've seen the infrastructure supporting a capitalist economy move from the corner store to the shopping mall to the big box store and to today's dominant player, e-commerce. Personal note, while writing this portion of the script, I was reminded to hop on Amazon Prime and order a drain filter for my sink. $5.99, and it'll be here tomorrow. Read any headlines about Amazon, and you'll read about the old box stores that are being converted into warehouses for same-day shipping, the employees they're funding to become prime businesses, and their interest in drone deliveries or other ways to combat their last-mile challenge. In very real time, you are reading about the expansion of infrastructure to support a new capitalist commercial ecosystem. If seamless, digital, frictionless user experiences are a sign of the times, and they are, another is convergence. 
We're finding hidden or as of yet unexplored boons everywhere these days, where what may have been historically disparate, either due to technological capabilities or because previous conditions didn't favor them, combine, converge, and create 2 plus 2 equals 5 scenarios. In many cases, this is because the expansion of infrastructure grows and bleeds from one segment to another adjacent one, see Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods. But in other cases, it's because the expansion itself creates new spaces that naturally facilitate the inclusion of other segments looking to find footing in a shaken-up world. If you were a traveler like me, it won't surprise you to hear that another segment that is expanding its infrastructure is the airport sector. It feels like every airport is under construction now, looking to become bigger, better, sleeker, and more efficient. There are billion-dollar investments in airports everywhere you turn, and I don't have to turn far considering I live in the same borough as LaGuardia and JFK. There are many different drivers for this boom in travel infrastructure development that have nothing to do with shopping, commerce, and retail that I started our episode discussing today. And yet, convergent scenarios have created a symbiotic relationship between airports and retail that have driven investment in airports even further. If you want to find in-person shopping alive and well with wall-to-wall shops and innovative new shopping experiences, don't meet your friends at the mall. Meet them at the airport. It makes perfect sense. Sure, you have what you might call a captive audience and travelers at the airport if you want to be sardonic about it, but you also have people converging from all around the world, excited to find unique shopping opportunities, or people in the right mindset to shop at a premium or try something new. Retail is, actually, alive and well in our next wave of airport infrastructure development, giving us all the trappings of the mall, aside from maybe the free samples at the food court. But if we look deep down into our souls, we know we kind of miss and love. Our guest today is Jason Dodier, a guy who grew up with mall experiences very similar to mine, sure, but also the Schneider Electric Strategic Account Executive for the Carlisle Group and the engagement leader for Alpha Structure Terminal 1 development at JFK Airport in New York City. Jason is an impassioned, articulate communicator, and I think we'll all enjoy his insights in today's discussion. We chat with Jason Dodier in Act 2. Act 2. You got to be careful if you don't know where you're going, because you might not get there. Yogi Berra. And with that, let's dive right into the conversation with Jason. Favorite spot at the food court was probably there was a carousel over there and then a big TV where people would kind of gather around. So at the Warwick Mall, it's known for this monster, like a mini Megatron. And not many malls had that at the time. So we would we would go to Sparrow, you know, one of the, yeah. like the pizza shop, which I think is still there. Yeah. Grab a couple slices of pizza, sit in front of the, you know, the big screen TV, just hang out. And there was a little arcade as well that was kind of diagonal from where we were seated. So some folks would just go back and forth between there and the other store was FYE. I don't know if you remember that store that sold DVDs and CDs and all that stuff, which is uh, no longer there anymore. So those were the main areas around the food court where we'd go in and out of. The reason you're my guest is not because you're a mall expert, although it sounds like you might sort of be a mall expert, but you're, you're really focused on airport construction. And there is a, a lot of dovetailing between brick and mortar retail and the airport experience. So I wanted to have you on to talk about airports themselves and, and maybe ask you to start, what are some of the growth trends in airport construction, renovation and development right now? So as you know, airports are a fundamental component of the nation's transportation infrastructure, right? And some of the key statistics yep. 
that I've kind of worked up through various channels is that we've got close to 2 billion passengers that are going to go through U.S. airports in 2019 alone. Roughly 31.7 million metric tons of cargo are going to have traveled through the end of 2019. And what we're seeing from airports is that there's major constraints around capacity, infrastructure, and essentially how you're going to manage handling that level of productivity and in, in individuals on a day-to-day basis that go through there, right? And just some other statistics that are really mind-popping. National economic impact for airports in the United States, Tyler, $1.4 trillion in terms of the contribution. That's 7% of U.S. GDP. So if you look forward at the discussion of how airports are going to change and how we're going to meet the key growth drivers is essentially from now to 2023, when you talk about construction capacity, you're going to see roughly $130 billion spent on airport infrastructure upgrades. And more than 56% of that is going to be spent inside the terminal. It's really a capacity issue. And there's clearly the demand is there. And it's a matter of determining how those funds get allocated to ensure that the airports are ready for the next generation. It's certainly something that you see, you know, as you travel, that there's airport construction seemingly everywhere you go, which I think would lend itself to in agreement to your point. And also the statistics that you referenced there, which were phenomenal, and thank you for providing them, uh, remind me of our second episode this season where we had Neha Jaitpal on to talk about hotels and just the travel experience and the, the fact that more and more people are traveling and that is not a trend that's going to slow down and you need to build up capacity for that type of situation. You couldn't be more right about it and that's what we're seeing. That's a huge driver for what we're doing. Why do you think retail works so well in the airport experience? And is this something that airport developers, like, like maybe the conversations you're having right now are taking note of? Where does this rank among their drivers for reasons to construct? It's a major driver especially for airport operators. When I think of, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, but me personally in the discussions I've had, it's almost like the final frontier of shopping for a lot of folks, right? The airport has been known, and I lived overseas for a long time. I've been accustomed to Dubai airports and airports in Europe. I mean, you go there and one of your first instincts is to do some shopping yeah. because you're going you're gonna to have easy access. Here in the United States, you know, you might not necessarily go there with the intention you're going to buy things or you're going to make a duty-free purchase, but it could potentially lead to a purchase later on, whether it's over Amazon, right, as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, an electronic purchase, or just embedding it in the back of your mind so when you make a return trip, you're going to make that purchase. You know, and let's not forget also restaurants and bars. You're there typically for a longer period of time. When you're doing travel, for most folks that aren't day-to-day road warriors, it's a stressful experience. So you're going early. So you're there. You're going to make purchases. You're willing to make payments for food, beverages, and other items. It's a golden opportunity for airport developers to kind of recognize and build upon and realize you have to have a critical path towards building the best passenger experience. And of course, revenue is a major consideration. And This is one area where you can capture some of that. I really liked you referencing the difference between day-to-day road warriors and people that don't travel that often. And again, one thing we talk about on this series very frequently is just the experience um, and and how you have to account for many different experiences. And those are two completely different ways to look at airports. LaGuardia is my home away from home. That's where I'm at a lot. For some people, they might go there once every few years. It's a completely different experience. The retail experience is one way that you can make it more comfortable for both someone like myself and people that don't travel very often. What are the other major drivers you think that are leading to the airport construction boom? Aside from retail, um, you mentioned some really cool statistics earlier that I think may, may allude to some of those, but what are the other things that are really leading to? 
the big thing. So the big thing on, on my side and what really gets me excited is this whole digital transformation. We hear it all the time, but how do we apply it within the airport? So some interesting and another interesting statistic. Uh, I was on a panel recently and I've had some some other discussions with a lot of airport executives and operators between now and 2023, roughly five billion dollars is going to be spent on IT for airports. Okay, what does that mean? That's everything from when you look at the customer experience, parking, e-commerce, on-premise fulfillment, mobile shopping, right? Loyalty programs. Also, it's the analytics, the storage, the security, and ultimately the end-to-end platforms of an airport environment. And that's the stuff that, that's the good stuff that we're tasked with on a day-to-day basis to determine how are we going to develop an architecture and provide a best-in-class solution to help with this digital transformation. And that's the big challenge today when we look at how do you integrate a lot of the older architectures and systems that airports are using today with some of the best-in-class items and, and an overarching system of systems moving forward. So for me, that's the big one where we, we can make a, an impact from day one is the overall digital transformation of the airport. And oftentimes, digital transformation is all about optimizing a particular experience. So we have people on all the time talking about different segments or what have you on this show, and it's guests in hotels or patients in hospitals, and we're already talking about travelers in this episode. It sounds like the largest driver for this next wave is, is, is digital construction. Is it all about optimizing the traveler experience? Is that the most important thing for, for stakeholders in airports? And if so, you know, why do you believe that that resonates with those stakeholders? If airports fail to leverage emerging technologies okay. and ultimately transition from a process-centric to a passenger-centric business, especially the big hubs that we talked about in this country, they're going to find themselves at a disadvantage. And one of the clear areas, immediately how customer experience can be improved, and there's been studies and a lot of surveys around this, is ultimately how do you implement a biometric path that's going to lead the traveler seamlessly from a point of entry when you enter that terminal all the way to your gate and ultimately boarding of the plane. That's one area. And then number two, just to keep it really high level, simple, and things that can be implemented relatively quickly around customer centricity is accurate and efficient baggage processing. I don't know about you, but when I'm traveling front of mind, and this has happened more (laughs) times than I'd like to when I'm going to the airport the next day, especially when you have important meetings and you've got stuff packed that you got to present, where are those bags? How do you put in place a proper tracking digitized process that will manage that flow. So those are two areas. Got to be customer centric and then look at a couple things that you can do immediately to have an impact. Because I was with some of the leadership from a leading airport in Canada recently, and they were throwing out some crazy statistics, Tyler, about how the IQ of people, especially those that are not road warriors, drastically reduces when they come in an airport. So what can you do at the get-go to ensure that you minimize the reduction in IQ to allow for a seamless experience for all travelers. That's really interesting. So the the IQ, so basically the the ability for people to process information, their intelligence drops when they're at an airport just because they're confused. There's a lot going on and it's just a different environment, I'm guessing. And it's it's like a chaotic experience. Think about even the environment, right? It's overwhelming. You've got yeah. so much going on. You're pulling out all these documents. And then, you know, I, I've, numerous times there's been dangerous you come up or down an escalator and there's people just stop there trying to figure out <laughs> where to go, right? And, yeah. and I think the third piece is the you know, wayfinding technology, just the technology that's used to help people get from point A to point B. And you just see it today around that adaptable and sustainable architecture that's in place in an airport. 
it's not where it needs to be for these folks, which is a predominant number of travelers. They're just so confused. And think also, Tyler, the last piece of that, people coming from other countries, right? Yep. Language gap. So how do you ensure that's in place? Might also be afraid to fly, you know, as I think about this going, there's a lot of people that might be concerned by that. This is a, that's a really- Major one. I, that's a that's a, a fascinating thing that you bring up there. And I think what it does for this conversation is makes it pretty clear that as this many people are going to be traveling, how vulnerable they are in terms of their thought process, what the opportunity is to make that experience a little bit easier. I love that point. Thank you for that. You mentioned a couple things about different ways to travel. How do you see the traveler experience changing? I don't know if you want to get into wayfinding here or not, but this could really be anything. So it could be access of information, transit between terminals, entertainment. How do you see it changing right now? I see three big areas I like to touch on and I think are discussions that we're part of all the time to figure out the experience at JFK and other airports. One is the whole Uberization model. So yeah. how can airports engage in that, right? Looking at strategic commercial partnerships. So again, talking to a, a Schneider Electric colleague of mine in Dubai recently, there's a company I'm sure you may have heard of called Deliveroo. Yeah. Right. There's companies similar to that here in the United States that are rolling out technology that are literally bringing food to the gate to enhance the passenger experience. So that's one leveraging that at your gate, initial in airport delivery, in airport entertainment to the customer. It's all about the Uberization model of service. So one clear area, I'm very curious to see what kind of strategic partnerships the big hubs and other airports take into account and and ultimately lock up moving forward to enhance customer experience. Second, AI and blockchain. How are airports going to continue to use chatbots and virtual assistants? And how will they evolve to revolutionize the customer experience? I've been part of some, you know, really mind-numbing discussions around this. And I've seen some of the technology at a very, very high level, right? Because we're looking at how, how this all integrates together. And I think that it's going to take some time, right? Yeah. You're going to have to integrate and do some testing. But ultimately, this is going to be a major driver forward. And blockchain as the main trusted network, right, the main truth teller, if you will, mm -hmm. ultimately to store biometric and other personal data, will blockchain ultimately create more secure and faster passenger journeys? Remains to be seen. A lot of the technology on blockchain is still being proven and validated, but I think it can eliminate some major security and privacy concerns. Oh, yeah. um, as customers go into the airport, ha and instead of having to pull out and go through three or four different stations, you know, you've got the biometric journey, integrate AI and blockchain, and you're going to be able to achieve that seamless experience. And then I think to what I just talked about earlier, the wayfinding technology, how do operators put together an overarching ICT package that's going to put these small beacons of strategically integrated, whether it be distributed antenna systems or GPS within that indoor environment. Because remember, Tyler, today it's predominantly GPS. So what's the best methodology to incorporate that technology within an airport so that it syncs with mobile phones and tablets and other devices that are throughout the airport and maybe even in the floor, which has been discussed and looked at in a variety of airports to ensure that customers are able to seamlessly get where they need to go. Because remember, our generation in particular, we're like this all the time on our phones. <laughs> yeah. so you've got you to think about you know, is it going to pop up on your phone? Are you going to use augmented reality? And then what might be in the floor itself to start to help guide these passengers to where they need to go? So those are the, the major 
trends that are being discussed and can be readily implemented in today's airports. And they were all uh, really focused on sort of ease of experience. I mean, the first one, the delivery one is a convenience, but certainly something that is, I would like to have things delivered to me. But the other ones about, were really about figuring out how to make it easier to get from point A to point B. I would encourage listeners to check out season one, episode five that we did with Deval Shah. He talked a lot about wayfinding, if that's something that is of interest. I can't refer anyone to an episode other than this one that talks about blockchain. So Jason, you get the award for being the first blockchain guy, which is sort of surprising, really. But yeah, that's the first time we've heard that on here. It's absolutely vital to any truly collaborative environment, architecture moving forward, airports, port systems, hospitals, etc. So fascinating subject. Yeah, I'm a big fan too. How about sustainability? I mean, how, how has that changed responsibilities, metrics, and goals in the airport construction industry? This is probably the topic I've been most passionate about over you know, my decade plus at Schneider. And obviously, it's a key driver with any new airport project or infrastructure-related assignment that's being taken place today. There's really four major areas around this that airports are looking at today. Okay. The big area, so, so the big areas, Tyler, economic viability operational efficiency, natural resource conservation, and then ultimately social responsibility. And I think the best way to explain this to our user base is to kind of highlight, so when I look at the JFK airport project, right, what is the Port Authority looking for in terms of sustainability around those key trends? Three major metrics that I think are very important to understand. And it's, it's really similar among most of the other airport projects that I've come across and I've had discussions with. Big drivers, how do you reduce emissions, right? From existing to by 2050, a lot of cases, some of the airports are more aggressive, 2030, 2040. For us, 2050, looking for an 80% reduction in existing facilities in terms of overall emissions. And that's the reason we're looking at microgrids and an energy as a service architecture for that project, right? Mix of PV, fuel cells, battery storage, et cetera. Additionally, how do we encourage customers, tenants, partners to conduct their businesses in a more sustainable fashion, right? So everybody that's operating within that airport has a mandate and it has to be followed up upon and reported back to Port Authority, operators and other key stakeholders. And a lot of times these are identified in lease agreements that operators sign before they go into the operations, day-to-day operations of an airport. And then the third big factor on this front is developing strategies that are going to reduce the risk imposed by climate change to the facilities and ultimately the regional infrastructure. So those are the core tenants that a lot of these airport operators and owners have to abide by or are looking to build within their lease agreements to hold owners, operators, and folks that are just doing day-to-day business within the airports to hold them accountable. And then one more piece to feed off of that. And it's something that I think at, at Schneider Electric, we're very passionate about, is communities, educating communities. It's imperative that we put in place marquee initiatives where we go into the communities, especially underserved, underdeveloped, or communities that lack education to energy and sustainability. And we get them engaged in some of these airport academies that we're creating so that everybody is taking part in this energy journey and this resilience and getting to the sustainability initiatives And that's what we're doing on this project. We're seeing it on more airport infrastructure projects. It's absolutely critical to lay the foundations of reaching the objectives that airports have around sustainability. There's a nice harmony in talking about airports and global connectivity and what connects us to the rest of the world like airports. There's a nice harmony in that. 
and also just the, the the length and service that you could expect from an airport. They're going to be around for a long time. You may as well do it. Yeah, I mean, you may as well do it right. I mean, some fascinating information there, Jason, about kind of the, the things that are driving the industry and, and some of the trends that I think people are aware of in the industry. We've talked about some of the projected growth due to those drivers and, and maybe the type of enhancements that we can expect in those airports and very vividly and, and again, fantastic information. Today, where are we in this process? So we're going to have to come together as a team to kind of develop what I call integrative project delivery solutions, right? Which we're going to, I think we're going to dive into a little bit more momentarily, but these are still early days. And the, the only way to get where we need to go on airports is to have the right group of thought leaders within a key project management team coming together early to design this architecture, to make sure we maintain the integrity of the airport and achieve the core milestones around sustainability and resilience. It does feel early days for airports. Uh, we've had plenty of people talking about uh, their segments and everybody believes that we're just at the front. We're not at the peak of any of this digitization, but I think uniquely it feels early days for airports. It's, a, it's one heck of an opportunity that I'm sure you are excited to get to participate in. Why don't we stay, let's stay on the, the kind of human element of this right now and, and maybe delve into some of this stuff that you've been alluding to. Um, I've got a couple of thoughts that I wanted to ask you about, sort of how this would come into play with, with, with people. And we've talked so much about technology. Let's talk about people a little bit. How might a, a, an airport construction project prepare itself for this traveler-centric future we've been discussing? What's the reward for them in doing so? And maybe, you know, on, on the back end of that, a little bit about maybe some of the solutions or services that you're thinking of here and that you've been referencing and alluding to. So talking about people, it all start. I mean, a big part of it, when you look at the renovation and you actually look at the drawings of a lot of these airports, it's the flow of traffic first and foremost into the airport, how customers are transported there. I don't think that parking and transportation to and from the airport gets enough discussion. Because okay. that's, yep. think about it too. I mean, when people are coming to airports, a lot of times it's for the first time that they're coming to a new city, right? Or they're getting dropped off and they don't want to deal with the hassle of, you know, where do you put your car? How seamless is it going to be to register? And then when they're coming back. So a lot of the technologies that are being put in place have to consider how you take people to and from the airport. So the stuff that we call landside, if you will, right? The airside operations is everything when you're you're at your gate and you're actually going onto the plane and taking off. And then on the air side, you also have the electric, well, the hope is to electrify those ground service vehicles, right? Yeah. And potentially, as we talked about earlier, delivery directly to the aircraft for individuals could happen on the air side. But wow. I think what gets overlooked, Tyler, a lot of times in the discussion is really the land side operations, which is taxis, Ubers, lifts, and parking. So I think airports need to look at how do you enhance or how do you work together with existing apps that are out there and existing providers and also some of those legacy providers, right? I mean, you've probably used a lot of them, the big car rental services. They need to get with the times as well to make the experience even better. And, and, and with autonomous vehicles potentially coming or autonomous subways or train systems, right, to help travelers seamlessly get to where they need to go. So I think that's one key way to really look at landside how you address the consumer. And then the other piece is the e-commerce, the shopping, making sure consumers in advance, because I know for me today, when I'm traveling airports in the US, I try to look in advance to see, all right, 
What restaurants do they have? Where the gates are? So I could strategically plan, especially if I have a stopover yeah. or a layover, oh, because most airports in the U.S. are hub and spoke models. But today it's so tough. It's this map and it's not intuitive. So yeah. for people today, when you take into consideration their needs, those are some key areas that need to get more love. So can I ask you then, you had mentioned integrated project delivery earlier. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, and I think that you had mentioned that you think that that's a way forward in order for us to deliver essentially these types of services. Would you be able to explain what you mean by that and how you might envision that to, to fall in place for airports? Yeah, happily. I mean, I gladly would. I mean, I think this is a unique so when we're tasked with getting on board with supporting an airport project, yeah, right. The only there's a few ways to be successful, but one of the key ways that is proven to really work, and a lot of especially when you talked about knowledge sharing, yep. right, and looking at some of the best airports globally, the integrated practice is really how do you take the best in class solutions, right? And these are solutions, Tyler, that could be put in place around, when you look at the key metrics of, of an airport, baggage handling, right, transportation, the MEP systems, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, ICT, and then physical security. And, and this is very, very important when we look at any type of solution, but how do you guarantee or safeguard the integrity of that? And the best way to do it is really to pull together the key stakeholders to understand what the scope of works are gonna be at the very beginning of a project and then understand how do you integrate to write a scope of work around integrating all those pieces together. Because if you don't have that dialogue and you don't identify, you know, and get the folks who are best in class working together at the beginning, you might be successful in one area, but ultimately it's going to be piecemealed together, right? And this is, you start like from an ICT or an IT perspective, you start at the top layer, but then you've got to go down to business intelligence. And that is what comes down to ground handling and passengers and external stakeholders. So for me, it's really providing an approach that will, one, provide a best-in-class, fully integrated solution that's guaranteed to work. And also, let's face it, channels are very complex. So when you're, when you're looking yeah. at software services and hardware, how do you ensure that all of that is going to, that scope is going to stay together as it flows down through to the ultimate end location, which is the airport? So to us and some of the discussions we've had, the integrated project delivery seems to be the most fit way to deliver this type of a fully integrated applicable solution that's going to check the boxes for the airports. I've seen some integrated project delivery in healthcare. It makes a lot of sense to do it for airports and the type of things that you're, you're talking about delivering with this long view. Doing an integrated project delivery versus maybe a traditional bid spec model and, and handling all of that stuff up front does seem like something that I'm glad to hear is on the radar of people that are working on projects like this. It's definitely front and center. And I've seen it having the discussions and, and attending some events. Uh, the big concern, Tyler, really, and I think it's, I think it can be true of many types of infrastructure and probably like you said, hotels as well is just, you know, we call it a command, you know, airports, it would be referred to as like a command and control center, but it's really that single pane of glass. And how do you integrate the digital airport operating systems which can then in turn provide better real-time decision-making, right, for the customer, as we talked about, right. which will then drive operational efficiency and then ultimately uh, an effective operations for, for that better end-user experience. Because as we said at the beginning of the podcast, it's customer-centric. It's got to be about the customer, but you also have to ensure you've got that security element and visibility well taken care of. You can't be going into operating an airport blind or with different systems, 
Well, listen, uh, Jason, you've you've done such a great job talking about everything that's happening in the field um, and also how it ties back to that traveler experience. And it's, it's clear that you're passionate about this. I'd like to ask you as we finish up here, I'm going to assume that you're excited to be a professional in the industry. I can kind of feel that coming from you <laughs> in the conversation. Why would you say that you are excited to be a professional in the building technology industry? A couple of things. I think the big one, it's when you look at the generational aspect, we talk about it all the time, the generation before us, the generation we're a part of, and the generation that's coming. And just for when you look at the future of the world and our country, this is at the forefront. We have to do it right today, right? We've been a leader in many, many ways, but it's up to us now to make sure that we're pulling together the right amount of resources and technology and being cutting edge. And it's a huge challenge. And I think it's that challenge and the opportunity to work with such brilliant minds from all over the place and internally, right? Within our company, Tyler, you know, working with yourself and other leaders of different verticals and just information sharing. I mean, that keeps me on my toes. It keeps the ideas fresh and, and I like that challenge, but I ultimately think that this stuff, if we get the infrastructure and building side pretty well configured, where we've got some great work streams identified and architectures in place and actual working models and replicas, we can use that to continue to build off of and ultimately ensure that we're gonna stay ahead of the curve And it's going to make it easier for future generations to do refurbishment, preventative maintenance, and build upon what we're putting in place now, right? So that landscape is changing and we'll continue to do so. And it's up to us right now to make sure that we we never lose sight of the digital journey, the latest trends, and ultimately what's best for the customer. And that's what keeps me, it just keeps me going. Absolutely a privilege to keep doing it every day. Well, it's a privilege to have you on here. It's great to understand your awareness of the permanence of the type of stuff that you're doing. Um, And I want to thank you on behalf of all the listeners for joining us. You've been an awesome guest and we appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Tyler. And uh, grateful as always for all your contributions and taking the time to do this. That was fun. And I, for one, am looking forward to the next decades of modern, carbon-neutral, and sleek airports while shelling out the travel dollars on the experiences Jason described. You certainly can't miss Jason's enthusiasm and vigor as he embarks upon this endeavor, which is great, and it certainly wasn't lost on me while I was conducting the interview. It's emblematic of one of the best parts about professional life, having a goal, putting some effort into it, and going after it. It actually reminded me of starting this program. So we'll turn back the clock and I'll let you in on what that was like in the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast. And most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake. I know you think I'm a psychopath. Democrat lurking in the drum. This sucks, I'm the Kmart soldier. So do trash, I kept the stash. We're not talking like Ninja Turtles here at this point. We're talking like maybe some New England sports teams or something like that. It was a mix of obviously anything Boston Celtics related, the local sports team. So which was the the Providence College Friars, big, uh, big fan of them growing up. And then 
believe it or not, wrestling action figures. So Hasbro, oh, yeah. uh, a toy company is headquartered in Rhode Island, and they had a lot of the best figurines and stuff around that. So those are the things that I really enjoyed perusing. I was a big wrestling action figure guy myself. Is it, the Hitman is a is a Providence guy, isn't he? Brett the Hitman Hart? Yeah, is he a Providence guy? I think he's a, he's a Canadian to believe. Oh, he's a Canadian guy. Oh, I thought that he might he's, be a Providence. I think he's guy. from Calgary, if my memory serves me correctly. But uh, I got a stack of those figurines sitting somewhere in a basement, and I'm sure they're worth a substantial sum. I should actually open my own shop because when I went to the mall, <laughs> it, there were a lot of openings. 